This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Now on Philadelphia's Talk Radio 1210, WPHT. A closer look. Hi, everybody, and welcome again to Recovery Radio. My name is Steve Martirano. We're here. We talk about behavioral health in general, substance abuse very specifically. And it's all brought to you by Retreat Behavioral Health, about which more straight ahead. This is going to be the second program um, where we deal with something that is a a growing presence in the field of uh, behavioral health, both in treating substance abuse and also a lot of other emotional um, difficulties people might have. And it's it's dealing with horses, working with horses, what's referred to as uh, equine therapy. Did an earlier show with uh, uh, an expert in that field. Today, we're going to give we're going to give you sort of the, the the horse's eye view of this thing from someone who has benefited greatly from uh, dealing with horses and maintaining sobriety. Our guest is Jenna Moore. Jen is a, a, a young gal who. Uh, horses have been no strangers to she she grew up around horses she has a an affinity for them uh, and uh, that that uh, relationship she has with the, with the animal was never more important than when Jenna was confronted with her substance abuse issues in her early 20s Jenna is now uh 3 years plus sober and uh, we're we're here to talk to her about how that happened and the horse she rode in on Jenna Moore is our guest on Recovery Radio. Hi, Jenna. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Steve. So let's begin at the beginning, and we'll find out how it is, um, you know, you have this relationship with with horses. You are 33 years old. Yes. And grew up, as I said, in the leafy suburbs of Philadelphia, right? Philadelphia, yes. I grew up um, in, well... My horse grew up in Malvern, Pennsylvania. I was in the area surrounding. Um, I actually, I was lucky enough to grow up um, having my own horse and really getting into the horse world at a young age, which um, I think has been nothing but beneficial for myself. And um, and yeah, I love it. Do you want me to just go ahead and? Yeah, I want. Uh, I want. First of all, you you know, you, you are again evidence uh, that the stereotype of what who this disease can affect is shattered once and for all. Yeah. We know that it's an equal opportunity destroyer uh, and can affect anybody. Here's a young gal who, I guess, it can be accurate to say, grew up in horsey country, and that's sort of horsey country out there on the uh, western uh, main line. And finds herself at some point struggling with alcohol, with uh, with substance abuse. But let, let's begin with your your background. You you have you have siblings. You tell us about your family. Okay. Um, I first of all, I never thought that I would be anywhere saying that I had over three years clean and sober. So that in itself is crazy. But I grew up. Um, I grew up again in the suburbs of Philadelphia. Uh, I have three other sil- siblings. I have an older sister two younger brothers. My parents were married. Um, they stayed married until I was 24. I had an amazing childhood. Um, everything that was needed or in the most sense wanted was provided. Uh, I had a great education. Um, from high school, I went straight to college. I actually, <laughs> this is crazy, but I actually brought my horse to college with me. 
Um, Wait a minute. Wait a minute. (laughs) Hold it it a second. It sounds like we've got a sitcom on our hands. Right. If this this horse can talk, we've we've got a show. Oh, yeah. He's seen it all. Did you bring the horse with you to college because you were going to ride collegiately or do you just like to have the horse around? Um, Well, eventually I was hoping to ride collegiately. Um, I went to – from high school, I went to um, North Carolina State University, which has a great, um, like, veterinary program, and I think it's the second best in the nation. And um, if you go there undergrad, you have a better chance of getting into their, excuse me, veterinary program. Um, However, when I was was actually there my first year, I ended up transferring to Temple uh, University in Philadelphia uh, because they had us doing some crazy things in the labs that I wasn't quite prepared for. and then I thought about it some more, and I was like, you know, I don't think I could ever put a horse to sleep or, you know, deal with broken bones, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, but yeah. that was, your, that was your, your goal, was to become, uh, to study veterinary medicine? It was my goal, yes. Yeah, yes, it yeah. took, a, took a wild ride off to the right there, but that was initially what I wanted to be, yep. So, uh, what did your roommate think of the horse there with you? <laughs> Well, okay. I'm being silly. silly. Yeah, so I, um, just like in my childhood, I boarded my horse. So my horse is like 10 minutes away. He didn't actually, you know, I wasn't like sleeping in the stable with him. Um, But he's, um, he he actually, I think, my addiction didn't really start to take off until my early 20s. Um, And I think he is a major part in, uh, I don't know, not keeping me from, going down that road but kind of kind of steering me on the right path Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. it was actually it's kind of a the correlation is pretty pretty accurate in that um i when i was like around 24 is when i started kind of taking off down the pill road and that started started taking over my life and i had actually given my horse hero is his name he's an he's a thoroughbred off track thoroughbred um I gave him to this woman so that he could retire, and that was also the time that I started using pretty heavily, which is, that's, I mean, I don't know if that's just coincidence, but that's kind of funny. Well, it, it, we're going to explore the, the, the relationship because there is, there is some irony here in that a young person who grew up around horses and loved them um, would wind up needing them at the other other end of their life when things were not going well. It's kind of interesting about that disconnect. But let's back up to your, your the history of your uh, substance abuse. You say it didn't become a problem until your early 20s. What was it like in high school where you, your garden variety, you know, sneaking beers on the weekend and uh, experimenting with pot, and how did that work? Yeah, so um, I first had a drink when I was, I want to say, like a freshman in high school. I was just drinking on the weekends. Um, I was playing varsity soccer. I I was I was a really good student. Um, I was doing really well. Like I had a 5.0 GPA, um, varsity four years for soccer, and then on the side I was competing nationally with my horse Hero uh, in three day eventing. Um, and then uh, so yeah, so my drinking really started. I would say when I was a freshman in high school, it was just like a couple beers on the weekend. Um, and then I tried, you know, I tried to smoke pot here and there. I never really got too much into it. Um, I remember the first time I ever, like, took a pill was Adderall, and that wasn't until I was maybe, like, a senior in high school, and I did it once, and that was it. Um, 
So the outer the, the, the outer role was a recreational experiment. You yes, were, yeah, yes okay. I didn't need, right. no, I wasn't prescribed it yeah, yeah, okay. by any means. Yeah, um, but I just tried it once, and I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. But somebody had just like given me one, and I didn't seek it out again. So that just kind of left it where it was. Um, and then, uh, so yeah, so it was pretty normal um, drinking throughout high school, I guess, and college as well. Well, no, I started to drink a little more heavily in college, which I think is par for the course. Yeah, sure. It is. No, it is. Yeah. This, is, this is a typical story. Where, where, you, yeah. where you depart from the main is that it, it suddenly spirals into something different. Right, look, right. I never stopped. <laughs> look, looking back on that, can, can you pinpoint some, some the moments when, when you were sort of outpacing everybody else? Yeah, so... I kind of realized that maybe um, maybe I was a little different from my friends when, for example, I went to Miami. Um, this is from Pennsylvania. I went to Miami with one of my best friends, and we were flying down together. We were spending the days together, obviously, um, and every single day I was like, okay, well, let's just start drinking. She was like, well, well you know. You know, we don't have we don't have to drink every day and like stuff like that. And then like on the the plane ride home, I was like, all right, well, let's just sit at the bar until the plane comes. Blah blah blah. And she was like, well, you know, I'm good. And I just never had that. Well, I'm good mm-hmm. sort of uh, attitude. Yeah. <laughs> I always kind of wanted to, um, I guess, be outside of myself um, and not in my own head. Was there any anxiety in your life? Was there any? Can you can you can you put yeah. your finger looking back on you know why you would have been more inclined to overdo it? Sure. So I've always um, I've always been a little crazy, not crazy, but you know what I mean. Um, uh, I have been diagnosed with depression, anxiety, um, but I had I wasn't diagnosed until I was like twenty seven. Um, I don't think the depression really started taking off until my use was going nuts, but. Um, when I was in middle school, my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I don't know if I knew exactly how serious that was or what, but I do know that when she was diagnosed, um, a little bit later, I started eating uh, anorexically, I guess. Is that mm-hmm, the right way to mm-hmm. say it? I was anorexic. Um, I started to control the intake of food, uh, what I was eating. I was really skinny. It was kind of gross. Um so I've always kind of been a little in my own head, and um, my dad uh, was actually diagnosed with colon cancer when I was in high school, and I think that had a little more impact right. on me. Um, during this my, during, yeah. during this acceleration of your substance abuse, were were you um, were you riding at all? Would you, would you have any relationship with with the horse at that point? Yeah, so at that point, no. Um, I had By this time, I had given my horse to this woman to mm-hmm. retire him. Um, and I was just kind of going to school, but not really going to class. Um, I was partying every night when my friends were not. Um, I was, which soon led to me like skipping class and not doing, not turning in assignments and blah, blah, blah. And I ended up, in it, it took me like five and a half, years to graduate because of it um but i am lucky enough to say that i graduated mm-hmm. uh, jenna moore is our uh, guest she's uh, talking about her struggles with substance abuse in her uh, early 20s 
and uh, the uh, lengths to which she went uh, to get sober, which she has been now for over three years. Jenna has more straight ahead with us. This is Recovery Radio. Please don't go away. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. Steve Martirano with you, our guest on the telephone from uh, Florida, where, by the way, she works for Retreat Behavioral Health. We'll find out in what capacity straight ahead. Is Jenna Moore. Jenna's 33 years old. She is uh, with us to discuss a topic that we've uh, covered in, in the past here from a uh, clinical standpoint, and that is equine therapy. Its use is uh, very old. It goes way, way back in antiquity. People have understood the relationship therapeutically between humans and horses, but it's growing in, uh, in acceptance and use across a broad range of behavioral health issues, substance abuse being one of them. Uh, Jenna grew up with horses, um, and they, um, at, at the end of the day, played a significant role in her getting uh, sober. So, Jenna, you know, you, you know, it just, college is college can can be dangerous. Um, a lot of freedom and a lot of excess, and you, your situation, as you were describing, it spins out of control. At what point did you go? I'm in trouble. What were you doing at that point, and and when did you realize you had a problem? So when I realized that I needed to get help and I couldn't do it on my own, I was actually living um, in Atlantic City, New Jersey. I was um, I was the event coordinator for one of the Iron Chefs, actually, um, in Revel Casino. I don't know if anybody remembers Revel, but it was a pretty, pretty nice up-and-coming casino in Atlantic City. It was supposed to bring, like, crazy business. Anyway, moving on. Um, so I was living there at the time. Um, I was crazy into opiates, uh, painkillers. I was only doing pills at this point. Um, and I ingested them. I didn't, you know, but, um, so I, I realized that I couldn't do it on my own was, uh, when I, I went to a doctor, um, cause at this time I didn't really realize that there was help, like, you know, I was scared to ask for help, and I didn't want to be that, you know, that girl, that pill head. Um, I've always been not prep. Well, I guess I have a big ego, and I don't want people to look down on me, that sort of thing. Um, so I went to a doctor, just like a general practitioner, and he prescribed me um, these pain patches instead of, like, Suboxone. Mm-hmm. Um, and when that didn't really, didn't really help my situation, I was like, huh, maybe I need to go somewhere um, to get away from it for right. a while. Because I was, I was stealing, you know, to support my habit. I was um, writing fake checks from my dad's checkbook. I was using his credit. It was nuts. It was, it was, it was a bad time. Mm-hmm. Well, let me yeah. back up a second to this, to this uh, doctor who prescribes. I, I take it that his, uh, his effort there was to gradually lower your dependence on these drugs so you wouldn't be dope sick and then you could maybe just stop doing it altogether and that didn't work. Is that what he was trying to do? That's exactly what he was trying to do. He prescribed, uh, I can never say, buprenorphine. Yep, yep, yep. Buprenorphine. Mm -hmm. Uh, The patches. And he was like, these have less of a stigma than Suboxone. So, you know, so you can feel comfortable going to uh, like CVS and getting it filled. So I wear the patches. And at first I like, I stuck to it because... Uh, I was pretty motivated, but then after a while, I was like, well, you know, this doesn't really work for me. <laughs> when you say it wasn't really working for you, you were getting this slow effect of, uh, of, the, uh, of the drug to try to wean yourself off, but you felt, did you, did you, did you worry that you were going to get sick from withdrawal, or did you just want to be high again? 
I think I just wanted to be high yeah, again at I, that point. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so because you, I wasn't sick really, you know. It was just, I just didn't want to be sober. All right, so, so that didn't work. And You know right. what? I mean, it's, it's uh, delightful that you would say that because a lot of people don't understand that. Folks get high because they like getting high, and then it becomes a problem because they can't stop. Yeah. But but uh, so, okay, so it's not working, and you have the presence of mind to go, well, this isn't working. Well, let me get... That's the point at which you go, I need, I need treatment, right? Mm-hmm, All right. yeah. So tell us about your first stint, because I know you've had more than one. Tell us about your first stint yeah. in treatment. So I went to an inpatient um, in, like, the suburb areas of Philadelphia. Um, and while it was, I mean, it was an eye-opening experience, to say the least for me, because I realized it was, it was so nice to hear other people going through the same thing that I'd been going through privately all by myself. Um, I'd never confided in anyone about it. It was, it was always just me. I didn't like go out with my friends to cop drugs or Mm -hmm. anything. It was always just, I did it privately or I did it every day um, alone. So, so I felt very isolated. And when I went to treatment, um, it certainly helped me feel not alone. And that's, really important i think mm-hmm. in uh staying clean and sober what was uh, a lonely place what was uh where was your family and all this did they know you had checked yourself into a treatment facility well my mom actually was right there by my side and mm-hmm. she has been the whole time um my dad too but he was dealing with other health issues mm-hmm. at this time mm-hmm. um so she had actually helped me find the treatment center and dropped me off um she cried when she dropped me off which you know Makes it's sense. Yeah. Well, um, so were you detoxed at this first treatment facility? Yep. I was detoxed and I stayed for 30 days. Um, my insurance didn't cover, it only covered the detox part, which sucks, but mm-hmm. so goes. Um, and then from there, I went to outpatient, the same facility. Um, I graduated from outpatient. Uh, then uh, my my dad had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and he actually had started to started like the I don't I don't know how else to say it but the dying process mm-hmm. so I was kind of I had picked up before all of that but um, I think it definitely uh, definitely added to my use yeah did you um, how long were you sober after the first treatment uh, maybe a month yeah right <laughs> yeah. Uh, and there are well when we come back we'll pick up on the because uh, people wonder about relapse and what I tell them is um, Yes, it's like falling down in a race. The idea is to get back up and finish the race, and you obviously have done that. So when we come back with Jenna, she'll tell us about um, the rest of her history in treatment and, uh, again, uh, back to the horse, which has always been lurking in the background. This is Recovery Radio. Don't go away. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. We'll uh, get back to our guest, Jenna Moore, straight ahead, but I want to remind you, that the freight for this program, as we say in the trade, is being paid, and we, and we thank them every day for this, by the good people at Retreat Behavioral Health. And I'm going to give you their phone number as I do each uh, each program at this time, and I also say the same thing. I hope you never have to use it. But if you have any questions at all regarding behavioral health, th- that's a wide uh, topic, and uh, it covers a, a lot of uh, uh, psychological and mental uh, situations, as well as any uh, addiction or substance abuse questions that's going on in your life. 
they will they will answer your questions. They're, they're not here to say they're the only place in the world that can help you with these things. They are great at it. They have a terrific reputation. But I give you the phone number informationally. If you call them, they will answer your questions. 855-859-8808. That's how you reach Retreat Behavioral Health. 855-859-8808. Jenna Moore is uh, with us uh, talking about her struggles with uh, substance abuse. I always like to say that uh, uh, the people we talk to are success stories. And Jenna is no exception to that. 33 years of age now, struggled with substance abuse in her 20s and got sober on, I know exactly the date here, February 2nd, 2016. So she's over three years sober now. Uh, we're finding out how she did that. Uh, okay, so, so Jenna, the first uh, the first time in the rehab does not hold for you. You go again, more of the same, detox, residence. Tell me about it. Yeah, so the second time I actually... I wasn't forced into it, but my family was kind of like, you you either go or we're going to, I guess, disappear from your life or whatever, whatever they say. Um, so I ended up going. I, I stayed for uh, 21 days. Um, I, like, completed treatment. Um, then I went to a partial hospitalization PHP program. Uh, I also completed that. However... The day I got out of treatment, I started using. The day, the day. Now, let's take a moment, and for people who don't understand that, um, during the period of time when you were in treatment during the second stint, Mm -hmm. and you say you relapsed the day you got out, what was in your head during during the stay? Were you thinking I'm going to just go through this thing until this time is up, and then I'm going to go get high again, or did you leave intending to be sober and then just? 24 hours later, couldn't do it. How did that work? Um, I would say, so, I, I was, I mean, I guess I was forced into it, not really. Um, so I think during my stay, I was like, eh, I'll, I'll be sober, I won't be, you know. I, you know, I could go either way. Um, and then when I got out, I was like, yeah, I'm definitely, like, I feel weird. <laughs> so I had to... Yeah. What was your what was your what was your uh, your drug use like at that point? What were you doing? So at that point, um, I was snorting heroin. Um, when I got out, I actually just took a Suboxone, and that got me high. So um, so I started with Suboxone after my second treatment, and worked my way up to actually um, injecting heroin. Uh, that was when it got really bad. Yeah, yeah. Who helped you do that? Or, did you, or are you are you self taught? I'm curious. I mean, no, no, I'm definitely not self taught. Uh, my ex boyfriend had actually, um, he had been clean, I guess, three years, uh, but he was in jail or prison for uh, two of those years. Mm-hmm. Um, how'd you and, How'd you meet him? Uh, <laughs> I actually met him on Tinder. <laughs> mm. Yeah, internet's so, great, but we had a lot of similarities because you know, obviously, we're both addicts. Um, our minds kind of think the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we got along well. Um, he's a, listen, he's a great guy. I have nothing bad to say about him. Um, but he introduced, I, he introduced you to IV drug use, right? He did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But again, like it was, I, it was my choice to do it sure. by any, like he did not in any way force me. He didn't want to inject me, but I asked him to, and he did finally. How different was the experience getting high uh, intravenously as as opposed to just the pill, uh, swallowing pills? Do you? Um, it's it's immediate. Um, it's more of a rush, um, and I, I would say it's more powerful mm-hmm. overall. 
Uh, they say you, when you snort heroin, you only get like 75% of the drug. Um, but when you inject it, you get 100%. Yeah, that, that sounds like, you know, someone with substance abuse making the rational uh, economic, right. economic Why decision. Why waste it? Yeah, right. Um, uh, did you have difficulty finding uh, heroin? Uh, no, no. Heroin is pretty readily available. It's cheaper. Um, if we, if our dealer couldn't meet up or if he was taking forever to respond, then we would make a trip down to Kensington, Philly. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it was, you know, you walk down the street being a white female and, and drugs are just shouted at you. So. Now, were you ever <laughs> frightened about, did you go down there alone? Did you ever go down there alone? Um, I never went down there alone. No, yeah. he was always there. Yeah. Um, and so this behavior uh, persists, the IV uh, heroin use, un- until for how long before you get back into treatment? Um, I would say it was four, four to five months, um, and it, it took me down really fast. Um, I ran out of money. I ran out of everything. I was staying on my friend's couch, mm-hmm. um, planning to move back into my mom and stepdad's house, but um, they really didn't want me there because they knew, they knew what was going on. Did you overdose at all during that period? Actually, no, I didn't, um, which, thank God. You were lucky, um, yeah. Yeah, I am one of the lucky ones, for uh, sure. All right, so now you hit uh, you hit bottom or uh, yes, close to it, and get back to treatment. Yes. Uh, this is when when something changed in the treatment and w- why you're yes. in fact here. You're reunited with horses, correct? Yes. Tell yeah. us, tell uh, us about um, that. Yeah. So the treatment center. The, this is my third uh, inpatient stay. It's actually at Retreat uh, Behavioral Health in PA, um, and. They offer equine therapy, and that was one of the draws for me to go there. Um, so I ended up going there for 31 days. Um, it was by far probably the single most life-changing month of my life. Um, I don't know what it was. I don't know if it's like the staff or something about retreat made me feel okay like like a person still when I was in treatment I didn't feel like a dirty junkie and like a you know a POS Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. I felt like a person and I felt like like they cared if I was gonna Mm -hmm. feel lonely or not um they let me uh they let me go to the barn which is where they offered equine therapy obviously um once a week so I actually got to interact with horses every every week I was there. Yeah, you were somewhat that was huge. You were somewhat ahead of the curve because most of the people I suspect who get involved in equine therapy don't have the relationship or the background in, in uh, horses yeah. that you had. Why? Why? And you said that the notion of h- horses being part of your treatment was an impetus to get you back in for your third stint in in yeah. rehab. Why? Uh, why didn't that occur to you sooner since you grew up around these animals? Uh, that's a good question. Um, actually, the first time I went looking for an inpatient treatment, um, I saw that Retreat offered it, um, equine therapy, that is. And, um, but my insurance wasn't accepted at that time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did think about it. Uh, it just didn't fit into my financial situation. Right. But you, but you were aware that this was a technique that was that was out there and was being yes. used uh, in treating substance abuse, correct? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, 
So I want you to I want to spend a, a little a moment here to talk about for people listening because you you know this because you've been there and done that you you know that when people hear about things like equine therapy or music art therapy with regard to substance abuse people uninformed people roll their eyes. Seriously, are you kidding? Particularly when you talk about animals in in this uh, context. So tell us what it is that someone in in that situation gets out of a relationship with a horse. Well, that's kind of easy for me to answer. Um, So horses are, uh, they're herd animals. So they kind of feed off of energy and um, and they can like sense they can sense your emotional state. Um, so like they they really they they feed off of the other horses around them, the people around them, and you really can't hide what you're feeling or going through from a horse. They kind of meet you where you are, and they just have this unspoken empathy that you know, hey. You're going to be okay. <clears throat> there is hope. I don't know. It's something about something about a horse and their intuition. Mm-hmm. They just uh, they make you feel less lonely. Is a good way of saying that's a it. that's a great way of saying it. Um, and like I said, the, you're an interesting case in point because most people who who get involved with an equine therapy situation have no experience with with, mm-hmm. uh, with these animals. You you had a great deal of experience. Was that a benefit going in or did you did you go? Well, this will be fun, but how how's it going to help me? I already know about horses. Yeah, that's that's the exact mindset I went in. I was like, oh, this will be fun. I'll play with some horses for a while. Right. Um, and I was like, oh, I already know how to handle horses. Like, I don't need to like sit through this. And but it was funny actually. Um, my therapist, after she saw me, I guess interacting with a horse, she was like, I feel like you've suffered a major loss in your life. And this was before I'd ever spoken with her. And I was like, well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I don't know if she was just very intuitive or she could read what was going on between me and the horse. I don't know. But um, it was crazy, and it kind of blew my mind. So I, so I started to feed into it a little. Mm-hmm. And, and I, um, I mean, I t- completely support it now, clearly. Um, there's just, I don't know, something about a horse. <laughs> something indeed. Uh, when we come back, I, I want to talk very specifically about the things folks can gain from this kind of therapy, um, and I'll just throw a couple of do some word association things, and you can tell me from your experience whether or not um, these benefits um, you 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 felt these benefits. Jenna Moore is our guest here on Recovery Radio. Equine therapy is the topic, um, and we will have more with her straight ahead. Don't go away. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. Steve Martorano with you. We, uh, we're here where we talk about the, uh, the issue of substance abuse, the many paths to sobriety and recovery that are out there, and the whole thing sponsored by Retreat Behavioral Health. We, we've had a terrific conversation for the past couple of programs about something that, that I think people don't know enough about, and that's the use of animals, particularly horses in this case, in the treatment of a, bo- of a, a wide range of behavioral uh, health issues, not least of which, as we're talking about today, is substance abuse. Uh, Jenna Moore is uh, with us. She grew up around horses. Um, she had one as a young girl, uh, struggled with substance abuse in her 20s, is now over three years sober, 
and a lot of the reason um, I think a lot of the reason she uh, she's able to maintain that sobriety and achieve it and then maintain it is that she reconnected with horses through the equine therapy she had at retreat. Um, uh, Jenna, just so people understand, um, equine therapy is not about I'm going to teach you to ride a horse and jump over fences, right? No, definitely not. That would be dangerous. So what is so what, what so tell us about how the program you were like I said it's interesting because you're ahead of the curve on this thing and then you're getting into this very sort of ground level program. What, what did it consist of? So um, the first time uh, I went to equine therapy, we um, we kind of groomed the horse, um, which means brushing, curry comb. We picked their feet. Um, we watched them interact with each other, uh, and then we tried to um, lead a horse without a lead rope, uh, I guess, if that's... Right. If you understand that. Um, so typically, you know, a horse has a halter and a lead rope, and that's how you lead them. Um, but we tried to get the horse to kind of follow us, um, and I went in thinking, oh, you know, I know horses, I'm going to be a pro, and, you know you know, addicts, we have like these big egos and I was like, I'm going to be awesome. And, (laughs) but, um, I went in there and this horse did not want to follow me. Let me tell you. (laughs) Um, so I, you know, I kind of got knocked down a peg and, um, I started to listen to the therapist and just kind of, uh, interact with the horse. And I don't know, some horses probably because of my past, feel like home to me so it's comforting um and i know when i was in treatment i've never in my life felt so alone and just i was scared out of my mind and i didn't know if i really wanted to be alive at that point um but horses kind of kind of reintroduced me to when i was sober and able to have fun and happy yeah you know you said something that's very interesting there you you get there and you got the kind of chip on your shoulder because after all you you know horses this is going to be a piece of cake right. turns out not to be the case right. you have to then go hmm i don't know as much as i think i did that's a very uh, deep insight for someone who's struggling with substance abuse because during during your uh, use i mean you thought you thought you could handle it you thought you knew all the answers right oh yeah for sure i thought i knew everything and it really wasn't until i like surrendered um that I was able to get clean and sober and stay clean and sober. Right. And so that once around, here's this horse going, I don't know who you think you are, but right. <laughs> wise up. So let me, I hear a couple of the things that in my reading I come across with regard to the positive benefits involved in uh, equine therapy. And, and I'll just throw them out here and you tell me how they affected you. Um, clearly, you're, somebody gets in the situation you were in and their confidence about everything is shattered. Is this a confidence builder once once you're back in the saddle, or so to speak? Absolutely. Once you gain a horse's trust and they're kind of like on your team, uh, for sure it's a confidence builder. Um, it's also, it works with the whole trust aspect. You build trust between yourself and the animal, which, you know, when you're in active addiction, you don't trust anyone mm-hmm. because you can't even trust yourself. Mm-hmm. You, you, you've mentioned many times during our conversation the sense of isolation you, you always felt when you, were, uh, when you were using. Does this relationship with the animal uh, help that, decrease that isolation? For sure. Um, I don't know if 
anybody listening can relate to this with maybe like their dog or something. But to me, horses are just like big dogs. Um, they, they're like companion animals and, mm-hmm. um, they, they, as I said before, they kind of feed off of your energy and they kind of can feel what you're dealing with. And they're there kind of feeling the same way. And they're like, Hey, we can, you know, we're in this together. It's just, I don't know how to, I don't know how to put it into words. And I don't know if it's just me because I grew up with horses and I love them so much, but, um, there's like an unspoken communication that just makes you feel Mm -hmm. a, a peace or a calm that you are searching for when you're trying to get clean and sober. Well, I don't know whether you can answer this, but I'll just throw it out. You know, impulse control is a real issue for people that are abusing substances. Does something like this, working with horses, can that help you control the, your impulses? Um, yeah, you're going to have to because um, horses are very uh, reactive. Um, you know, even like a quick movement will will scare a horse and, you know, you'll get hurt. So in more of a physical sense, for sure, it'll, it'll help with impulse control. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of have to think about exactly what you're doing before you do it so that you don't get hurt, you don't hurt the horse, et cetera. Right. Uh, well, Janet, thanks so much. I'll just throw the last one out because I don't want to get too spooky here. But, I mean, we're almost all of us, even if our relationship to horses is through the media primarily, understand this sort of spiritual connection. There's something uh, deep between uh, human beings and horses, the, that comes through during equine therapy, right? Absolutely, yeah. Um, for me, it definitely did. I know everybody's different, but um, it's, it's again, it's that unspoken communication and that understanding that they have, that you feel that they have, um, that you don't even expect. You know, you go in thinking like, oh, equine therapy. It's a horse, right. What's this, right, what's this horse going to do for me? Horse, but... Right. Once you experience it, it's a whole other, whole other ball game. Well, Gina, thanks so much for your story. I, I, we didn't have enough time to get in. I know you are the national event planner for retreat. You've been down there for a while doing what you were doing before you, you had some trouble. We wish you a great success with that. Um, hey, what happened to Hero? Is he still in retirement or is he, how's he yeah, doing? Yeah, he's actually doing really well. He, I think he just turned 28, um, <laughs> which is pretty, pretty old for a horse. Uh, he's in Malvern. He's living the dream. <laughs> It sounds like you are, too. Jenna Moore, thanks for joining us on Recovery Radio. We appreciate it. Thanks, Steve. Take care, everybody. Look for us next time on Recovery Radio. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management.